from Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, hey, out there in Radio Land, it is I in a split screen edition of the best political podcast you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Twitter, but downloadable on Spreaker, Google, your favorite podcast systems. Joining me in studio, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He is the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And also in Studio A there in Podcast Village, he is the longtime Democratic political operative and former Joe Biden political associate, the one we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. You can't handle the truth, Justin. I can. It's just not a a happy truth. And joining us from an undisclosed location in the Bay State of Massachusetts, he is the author of such great books as American Politics on the Rocks. He is the one we know as Rich Rubino. Hello, Rich. Greetings, Justin. And of course, keeping us honest in the glass-enclosed nerve center of backroom politics, Rob the Engineer. Hey, Rob. Hey, hey. Hey, there he is. We we love having Rob. Although I we expect miss you to Charlie. have like a rubber chicken like squeaking. And, hey, hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey. You got to wait for the second hey. half of the show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We got to have some surprises. So uh, lots of things going on. As we are recording this episode of Backroom Politics, uh, we are in the midst of the fourth impeachment third. of an American president. Third. The third trial of an American president inside the U.S. Senate. As we speak right now, we have uh, we have House Impeachment Manager Zoe Lufgren presenting part of the case in the well in the U.S. Senate. It is starting to get interesting. It's starting to get a little, I, I don't want to say heated, but there's already some tension inside the chamber of the U.S. Senate, but let, let's let's look at the lead up at what's happened over the past week since we last broadcast. Um, Dan Littner, let me start with you. Let's start with the, the 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 president's case and actually the people presenting the president's case. Some interesting names popped up as part of the uh, president's defense team. What struck you? What was so? What were some of the names that really struck you? as important, bizarre, um, intriguing to you when the list came out? I mean, <clears throat> the Baylor football team should be involved since Ken Starr has uh, been, been added to the defense team. And Alan Dershowitz, inexplicably, uh, has also been added to the defense team, even though he refused to sign uh, the White House's released legal brief and i say that hesitantly since it's not quite clear how legal the brief was um so both of them were added um but the president's legal team has been in flux pretty consistently from the beginning he hasn't held on to i think any lawyer other than rudy giuliani for more than a year and a half maybe Uh, in part because he's got some pretty challenging is a generous way of describing his legal positions. Um, 
since uh, it, it, many lawyers seem to have come and gone from his legal team in part because of those legal positions that are challenging for anyone who is a member of a bar in good standing and wishes to remain so. Um, so it, 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 it's interesting to say the least. I, I will push back ever so hesitantly um, on the case being argued right now before the Senate. Admittedly, I have not seen all of the arguments thus far today, but it seems in part that they're not just arguing the case, they're arguing the rules um, that, that is being, or arguing against the current layout of the rules, which already seem to be in flux. If I saw the reporting correctly, a day may have been added uh, on the fly, but uh, Alan, I suspect, might have a better information on yeah. that. Yeah, Alan, Alan, before we get to that, though, <clears throat> let's look at the at the president's legal team. The president's legal team has some very interesting names, as, as Dan pointed out. We've got Alan Dershowitz. Uh, we've got Ken Starr, the uh, the lead attorney in the former President Clinton's impeachment trial. Uh, but we've also seen some lesser-known names, but close presidential allies, such as former uh, Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi. Is, is, are we seeing a pattern here of th- these aren't recognized true litigators, more so uh, people that have covered the the president's back or are we misinterpreting this? Well, so I, let me take issue with what Dan said about the, the, the constant revolving door about lawyers. It is undeniable that that revolving door exists. Dan suggests it's because of the legal challenges. I don't think that I've ever heard lawyers say, Oh, I don't want to take that because I don't like the facts uh, or the laws associated with my client. The problem no good here, the would problem, say that. <laughs> the, well, fair enough, but I think I don't think that's the problem. You got plenty of lawyers who will who will sign up for hard cases, um, uh, including uh, Alan Dershowitz. I don't mm-hmm. think the the, the, the <laughs> who who defended O.J. Simpson, Klaus von Bülow, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. I think the problem is not the 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 case; it's the client. Lawyers want their client to listen to them and either follow their advice or come up with a good argument for why they won't. In in President Trump, you have a client who notoriously goes his own way, doesn't necessarily listen to the advice being given, and then if he does or halfway listens, he decides against it, he dismisses, he attacks. So he drives people off by his behavior, in my uh, estimation of the situation, not by how tough or easy or whatever the, the, the case may be, particularly if you can be on national television and so on. Um, there, there are people who are, who are attracted to that kind of opportunity, but but taking on a client who won't listen to you, who will be antagonistic to you, uh, and then at the end of the day won't follow your advice, that's a recipe for people saying, we're not a good match uh, client, you and me, I'm moving on. 
And I think that's more what's behind the constant revolving door than the challenges presented by the particular case. The case is an interesting case, which is why there are some people who who are involved, who would want to be involved, like Ken Starr, who has been trashed by the president in the past as a lunatic, um, but who I think is drawn to the the the, the, the arguments— no, I don't know about the paycheck. I mean, <laughs> Dershowitz, the president notoriously doesn't pay people anyway. Dershowitz has said, I'm not getting paid for this. Or if he is, it's it's never even been discussed. I have no idea what the deal with is with Kim Starr. I don't think that, that people need, uh, people like that need a paycheck. Um, they may need the spotlight or they may actually think, I want. To, I think this is an interesting case, an interesting but, argument. But, but, I want. I Alan, want to make the case. Let me just say one other thing about what's going on on the floor right now, because right. they're not debating the case yet. They are debating right. the rules under mm-hmm. which the case will be uh, uh, carried out in the Senate. And I have to say, when I turned it on this afternoon and I saw Adam Schiff standing in the well of the Senate, lecturing the senators on what the ground rules should be. As a former longtime Senate person, I felt really uncomfortable. I think I would have felt the same way if the roles had been reversed, if it was some Republican over there lecturing to the Senate. Not only does that run the great risk of offending the Republicans, it runs the risk of making the Senate Democrats feel very uncomfortable. This this part of the process is their debate. What right. are the rules we're going to decide? We're not going to let Nancy Pelosi tell us how to do this. We're not going right. to let Adam Schiff and that team tell us how to do this. Right. We'll hash it out among ourselves. This is why you don't, wanna, this is why on, you don't televise Supreme Court arguments. Right. Well, I want to come back to that, but I, I, I still want to stay on the on the president's legal team because, you know, the one dynamic that has been very interesting in this, uh, and Dan Littner, let me go to you for legal on this, is the inclusion, the open inclusion of the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, is, is, is the White House, is this the role of the White House counsel to serve as the president's impeachment attorney? Or does, in fact, the White House counsel represent the office of the president and not necessarily, uh, this is not exactly the venue for that office? So the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive, and I believe at least one or two of of uh, Bill Clinton's uh, impeachment attorneys was uh, also at least a deputy uh, White House counsel yep. uh, with uh, Cheryl Mills. Um, also Charles Ruff. And Charles Ruff. I, I've, I've, I wasn't quite certain if both of them were or were not. Um, so the... The question is, what arguments can they raise and what positions can they take? Um, that's, but, but, uh, but, Dan, does this, does this pose a possible conflict of interest between the White House counsel and his role as an attorney on the impeachment trial? No. Uh, well, not, not necessarily. It can if he, uh, if he goes beyond his job of protecting or being a counsel to the White House and the presidency and not the president. They are two different things. Um, so the the White House counsel, if he's acting in defense in this particular case, since there is a question of executive privilege, um, which 
amazingly, the White House still has not quite officially asserted. Um, that would be a narrow realm for that the White House counsel to engage. If, in fact, the steps go beyond that to defending the president personally, that gets to be a different, interesting, slippery slope, arguably violating uh, the White House counsel's job, which is not to protect the president personally, but to work on the behalf of the presidency. It, it, it is a really in-the-woods, uh, inside-baseball uh legal argument that I really don't expect most people to understand. However, uh, Cipollone and his job and his requirements to be a member of whatever bars he is a member of is subject to sanction if he violates those rules. So I I don't really anticipate it being much of an issue. Um, I suspect the White House, we will hear leaks about the president having a temper tantrum uh, if he doesn't quite follow the president's uh, request for certain arguments. That said, uh, the president does have outside counsel to make whatever arguments the president would like. Going to you, Richard Bino, I, I don't recall, but did we see White House counsel in the Bill Clinton impeachment, or were they more of a uh, passive support role as opposed to the active role we're seeing Pat Cipollone? No, they were active. There was uh, Mr. Ruff was actually um, sitting there, and he was actually um, he was speaking on the Senate floor, and, and um, as was aforementioned, Cheryl Mills, the deputy White House counsel, was also involved at the time. So and also gave a speech on the and also gave a speech on the Senate floor. So so there is precedence for this, but the the concern of there being a conflict of interest between the two didn't pose its didn't didn't rear its head during any I think, previous. I think it was. I remember watching it, and I remember thinking that, but I think it was more of a a minor issue at the time. I don't think anyone really made a huge deal out of it at the time. But, I mean, obviously, there is that conflict of interest, and the question is, is it the president's private, you know, can, he, can the White House counsel perform as the president's private attorney, or is the White House counsel's job to essentially perform for the office of the, for the, office of the president? And obviously, they are, you know, they are appointed by individual presidents. Very, they don't stay from one administration to another. They're not, some, they're not like, you know, an institutionalist, but it certainly, it certainly, is, it certainly was, a minor, was a minor issue, and it was not a big deal at the time. So, uh, can I also, can I add something here yeah, to this? Because I, yeah, yeah. I I think it's yeah, also ahead. important to remember that that the office of the presidency uh, has a, a clear vested interest in in impeachments and impeachment proceedings, and you're going to hear some of that here. That they're not just defending the president and his behavior, but they're defending the office of the presidency against what they will call partisan impeachments. And and there, there is certainly risk of that, potential for that in our system, and the presidency as an institution needs protection um, and representation, which that council is supposed to provide. Um, we'll see how the roles are, are, are divvied up between him and and Jay Sekulow, the president's uh, personal attorney, who's who who's here to protect the president's interests, it's a tough line to draw. And I'm guessing the line is gray. And as Dan suggests, and I think Rich too, 
it's hard to see that becoming a major issue, that somebody crossing uh, some ba- barrier where he might be subject to sanction from uh, bar associations and so on. Yeah, these guys have—this is new to them. Nope, you don't have a lot of people with a lot of impeachment of president's experience out there. Um uh, but but uh, you know that doesn't mean they're not experienced and haven't honed their their instincts over the years to be protective of themselves, their interests as well as their clients. Right, right. Dan Littner, does it shock you that the 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 non presence of Rudy Giuliani, or was that calculated? Calculated. I I suspect uh, anyone on the president's legal team, short of the president, is. Praying to God, Rudy doesn't see the front of a mic in in the in the well of the Senate. <laughs> that said, I would be begging for it, please, Rudy. I, I, I you know, I dare you. I, 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 I triple dog dare you. I will do the, <laughs> the 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 true violation of the kid code. Go ahead, Rudy. Let's see what you got. Go ahead. The well of the Senate is waiting for you. Now is your moment to shine, Rudy. You want to talk? Yeah, you so, want to talk about yeah, a walking ahead. a walking conflict of interest? That is Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yeah, he is he is a subject. He's a player in everything that happened. And for him to then try to pretend like he could be part of a of a legal team protecting the president's interests when his own interests are possibly in are tied up and in direct conflict, it would be nuts. My hunch also is because with this president, you never know. He made have said, let's bring Judy, Rudy in because he's good. And they would have said, you can do that, Mr. President. But if you do, it will be without us. I can't imagine wow. the rest of the team would have said, sure, bring him on. Seculo is a Interesting. hack. I, I doubt Seculo could be chased away with a – it would take a – a a, 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 a a full pride of lions to... Uh... Well, this would be in that category, I think. I think the notion <laughs> that Rudy, for all of his obvious conflicts, roles, and, and, and I'm guessing a lot of people are, are attributing much of what occurred to right. Rudy Giuliani and his judgment, his behavior, um, and... and uh, but I, I I I don't know Sekolo. Obviously, these guys. I've been following are, him for years. He the, he, he yeah. is not a quality attorney. These guys are <laughs> in, enjoying the limelight. Um, but so anyway, let's, let's, let's look at let's look at the House team that is presenting the case now. Uh, Alan, you you brought up seeing uh, Chairman Adam Schiff of California out in the well of the Senate, pretty much lecturing the members of the Senate uh, earlier today is when you have people like Adam Schiff and the rest of the House management team, which includes also Chairman Jerry Nadler of New York, do, do people like Schiff and Nadler run the risk of, you know, trying to get those four Republicans to help them issue the subpoenas to help getting people to see their side of the case just because of the way that they're presenting it. They have a history of not presenting well, as we saw in the run-up to the actual impeachment. Well, Nadler certainly does, which is why he's not the chair. Um, I mean, he's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. He should be, under normal circumstances, the person who is running this thing. And Nancy Pelosi, uh, uh, a couple of months ago, decided, nope, 
um, he's not up to the task. Um, Adam Schiff, even though he's chairman of the Intelligence Committee, um, which has a role, but it, it under normal circumstances would be a subsidiary role, um, uh, is in the lead role. But you know, I don't blame her for making for making a judgment trying to to, to get the the strongest team together. Um, but but I think the more they try to kind of lecture they members of the House, you need to understand this dynamic in the Congress. The Senate is the upper house. It is held a little bit and a little bit higher esteem in this town and and in other parts of the country than the House is. Whether that's fair. It's fact. You see many members of the Senate who once served in the House. You find no members of the House who once served in the Senate. Historically, there might have been one or two. Maybe Rich can can tell me. Basically, members of the House aspire aspire (laughs) to— I was going to say, Charlie Chris was probably the closest. Remember, he was governor from Florida, then he ran for— the for a Senate seat and lost. Then he ran for the governorship and lost. So he decided he'd take a, he'd run for a House seat instead and won. Running and losing and then stepping down, that happens. Um, yeah. and, and Claude Pepper, I guess he was a, he was a senator. senator. He was a senator for, for a while. For and 20 then, minutes. Yeah. And then he ended yeah. up with a long career in the House. But, but I, I say that because you've got you've got this this body, and it's not just Republicans. It's it 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 infuses the Senate. They think right. very highly of themselves, even if they're arguing and stuff. And and for members of the House to come over and and sort of tell them their business, as opposed to making an argument, making a case. And it's a delicate line, but it but in watching Schiff, I thought this is making a lot of people in the Senate, a lot of Senate Democrats uncomfortable. Right. It doesn't mean it will change their vote, right. but it's sure not a way to persuade right. the Susan Collinses and Lisa Murkowski's and Mitt Romney's and right. Lamar Alexander's and potentially a couple of others to say, oh, boy, I'm they're, they're coming up with a new argument. I'm finding right. it really persuasive as opposed to right. saying, how dare you? I mean, Dan, they're saying Dan that Wilder. to Chuck Schumer, the Republicans are. Susan Collins is really, really right. angry at Chuck Schumer. Right. Who's trying Dan to Lipner, persuade her, Dan, right? Dan Lipner, do you, do you agree that, that Nadler and Schiff were the, or Schiff and Nadler were the right picks in the right seats for this? I think Schiff was. Uh, I, I I disagree with your take on how Schiff handled himself uh, in the in the hearings. Nadler, um, I uh, I think his best days are behind him. I suspect there may have been a, some some uh, some uh, some uh, home politics at play within the Democratic caucus since Nadler has been there for a while. Has been more than just a happy soldier for quite some time. Um, the rest of the folks are pretty new to me. Uh, Zoe uh, Lofgren, um, I saw her argument just before we came into the show. It's part of the reason I came in late because I was listening to her make her position known. And she actually was doing a pretty good job. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, I don't have a huge amount of experience with, uh, nor Val Demings. Um, Jason uh, Crow, also not a whole lot of experience with, and uh, Sylvia Garcia, also uh, waiting to see what what they have to offer. Um, That said, I find it hard to imagine uh, 
Nancy Pelosi didn't spend some quality time behind this and the 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 use of Nadler, I suspect, is the only political nod that she had to do internally. Everyone else, it's hard for me to imagine she she made these decisions uh, quickly and without without a lot of thought behind it. Well, and I right, my, yeah, I was a little bit. I was, just say, I, was a little, I was a little surprised that she wanted to show that she that this was not only Democrat. She would have picked the one Republican who supported impeachment, well, was now an independent, which would have been Justin Amash from. Uh, from Michigan, and there was actually some movement among some freshman Democrats to get her to do that, and she did not do that. That's the one thing that kind of surprised me about it. Right, but we don't right. know what the well, conversations were that that kept the Mosh off. And for all we know, Mosh is not a good litigator at all. I don't even know if he's an attorney. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me just 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 make quickly, one, quickly, one other quickly, one other comment because geographically, you start out with Nadler and Schiff. Lofgren, who's who who was around um, uh, in town when during the Nixon uh, Watergate investigation, so she's got her her history. And Hakeem Jeffries, um, those are four people from New York and California. And I think when when they started to look at where these people were coming from, that there was among the many considerations was a desire. For some geographic spread. So you have a couple of freshmen who aren't even on the relevant committees, or at least one person isn't, who's on the who's who's here. And I think that that you know this was a, a complicated calculus, but some of it was symbolic of the geography yeah. of the country. Well, you have you have Val Demings who represents the I-4 corridor in her district down in Orlando. Val Demings, who is on judiciary. Uh, also served in a law enforcement capacity yep. uh, who has been through these types of criminal trials before, not necessarily an impeachment. Uh, and, 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 you know, here's a black female former mm-hmm. police chief from Orlando. Interesting pick. And then, of course, you have Jason Crow, who served in a national security as a former intelligence officer from the military. Uh, an interesting pick from a national security perspective. But, Alan, we definitely see your point of it being definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, a bi-coastal type of impeachment team. With that, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we can expect seeing going forward, whether it's the rules and the actual impeachment trial itself. This is Backroom Politics. Stay with us. man is acting like a heartless good for nothing. Low down, I believed and trusted. Now I'm disgusted, I found him out, had a showdown. When I think of him, how much I love him, I get a desperate notion. That's the way I feel today. My heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Without any reason or a word to say, that man turned his keys in. What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean. That's the way I feel today.
Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we are back with the best political podcast you've never downloaded. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to Maduro Cigar Lounge here in League City, Texas. 2800 Marina Bay Drive. Here you're, in you're, City, you're, you're, you're bringing some back for those of us who aren't there, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, just meet me for those. And uh, I want to give a special shout out to uh, to Fred and the team here at Maduro's for letting me kind of make an impromptu studio here in the VIP section of Maduro's. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about what to expect here uh, as we are watching right now. Again, we are recording this on a Tuesday, uh, the opening day of the impeachment trial in the Senate. We are right now seeing as we speak. Uh, lead House impeachment manager, Chairman Adam Schiff of California, in the well of the Senate, presenting his case on the rules that will probably come out. Uh, expected that was expected later today. Looks like we'll probably see them sometime tomorrow. But Rich Rubino, let me start with you as far as the, the rules that were kind of preordained by the Senate and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Is, should the American electorate be concerned that even without hearing word one of the case for setting the rules on issues like, <clears throat> excuse me, like subpoenas, uh, like witnesses, testimony, et cetera, should there be a concern that these rules were kind of preset or is this something we've seen previously? Yeah, no, I don't know if it's something that people should be concerned about. I think that the real concern, more so than that, and perhaps it's more idealistic than anything else, is the fact that we pretty much know how at least 95 senators are going to vote before the hearing. And you've heard essentially Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham essentially say that they're not going to be impartial jurors. I mean, we know that pretty much. I mean, the Clinton impeachment, for example, there were no conservative Republicans in the, in the Senate trial, that is. There are no conservative Republicans or liberal Democrats who voted the other way. So it just, I think that's really the real concern is this isn't really a trial where, you know, you have an impartial jury that's there to essentially look at the facts. Essentially what it is is it's a partisan trial where you have Republicans on one side, Democrats on the other side, and a few, mo- a few moderates like Susan Collins and Doug Jones who were up for re-election who, are pro- who, who potentially could vote the other way. And then you look at a few institutionalists like, like Omar Alexander or maybe even Rob Portman of Ohio who, potent- who potentially could be somewhat incredulous to the case that their party's making. But that's, I think, really the issue, not necessarily the rules. They also don't think that the average per- – that, that, you know, that, that, John, that John Smith in, you know, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, is necessarily thinking about you know, what the rules are for the trial. I just think that's more of a kind of an inside baseball thing that just kind of the Washingtonistas are more interested in than anybody else. Alan, Alan Moore, I, I go back to uh, 21 years ago when we started the trial of William Jefferson Clinton in the Senate. Uh, I, I, I seem to recall that the, the rules were a bipartisan deal. They came up with the rules resolution. That resolution was passed 100 to 0. Mm-hmm. The, the expectation right now is that this is not going to be the case, and actually this debate is going to larger set the tone of what we can expect as part of a trial. Is that accurate? Well, I, I, think, I, I think that uh, on the facts that that is accurate. The backstory, of course, is that 
in the Clinton trial, there was massive disagreement and argument, um, and they but they but they worked out an arrangement where they they carved out a possible rule. They went into closed session, meaning they went actually to the old Senate chamber, which is in the Capitol. No one but senators was in the room and maybe one or two staff people to keep a record. And they hashed out how to proceed. Um, Ted Kennedy was involved. Phil Graham, a conservative Texas Republican, was involved. And they ultimately decided on a process that would allow things to move forward, allow the House to make its presentation, allow the Senate uh, or, or the 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 president's uh, team to respond to have questions of both sides that would be funneled through the 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 chief justice who's presiding, and at that point they would make a decision about whether they needed to call witnesses or seek additional documents. Now at the time. The, the main witnesses that they were interested in had been deposed, were on the record. There was a massive uh, amount of documentation that had been put together by the, the, the Ken Starr committee. But the process, insofar as the Senate was concerned, was, as I stated, presentations, right. questions, a decision about witnesses, and and we can get—, get we, right. we we can, can talk about the, how that was right. resolved. So what what McConnell was saying from the get go, from from the moment that Nancy Pelosi said, "I'm not sending it over yet," because we want to know what the Senate's going to do, and the and, and McConnell said, "It doesn't work that way. If you're in a rush, send it over. Right. We'll sort that out. We'll do our part. You do your part." And right. and Schumer who was kind of in an interesting position, the, the the Democratic leader said, yeah, we're with Nancy on this. We want to know ahead of time if they're going to be witnesses. This is very different than Clinton. And and he's right. and, and and McConnell said, nope, I think that's our template. Right. That's what we'll use. And, and back and forth and back and forth right. until yesterday when the, the draft resolution came out and Schumer, and here's a great quote. Schumer was aghast at the content, even though he'd been forewarned all this time, calling McConnell's plans, quote, one of the darker moments in the Senate's history, perhaps even the darkest. No exaggeration or hyperbole here um, that McConnell produces something that he talked about doing. I'm right. only upset about one thing. When what in the in the Clinton case, there was going to be four days, 24 hours, both sides over four days. What McConnell proposed was 24 hours over two days. And I wanted to come on the show and predict that it would end up being three days. And unfortunately for me and my prescience, They've already done that. They've already right. made the change. McConnell did with supposedly input from some of his Republicans, like right. twelve hours over it, over two two consecutive day. I mean, twelve hours a day for two days, starting at one o'clock. No, right. that's not enough. So it's going to be three it, days. That change right. was made. Dan, I put the Gulf of Tonkin above that. So <laughs> a bunch of things. So it's important to realize that we have a bunch of audiences here for. Uh, this impeachment trial. 
there are obviously the senators. Uh, unfortunately for everyone involved, especially the president's legal counsel, you have the president and you also have the American public. And so the Adam Schiff seemingly lecturing senators was also making an argument toward not only those senators, but those senators' constituents, some of whom are up for re-election, uh, that are seemingly swayable, especially since a whopping 69%, which is just shy of 70%, uh, percent of the American public really thinks there should be witnesses, there should be evidence, there should be a lot more at play. Um, and part of the what's being laid out right now uh, with the with the the House managers is pointing out accurately how this impeachment process is so different from anything else we've seen in the past since the White House has pr- refused to produce either witnesses nor any kind of documentary evidence that has been uh, subpoenaed. Now, there is an argument that it should have gone through the judicial process, and I thought the impeachment managers actually rather adroitly pointed out that that isn't in the Constitution. If the framers wanted that in the Constitution, they would have put that in the Constitution. Um, Me personally, I think Jonathan Turley has an interesting argument there that I sort of wish they had gone further down uh, that road. Uh, but I definitely understand there is merit to the argument that that was not needed. Or, but did, the point did, being but is gonna, those are arguments we, that saying that suggesting that the senators themselves, this this is the Lisa Murkowski's, this is the Susan Collins's, this is Cory Gardner, or even the folks who are just looking at history, the Pat Roberts's, uh, the and the Lamar Alexander's who are leaving the Senate and their only eyes toward what their history is going to be uh, after they're gone. And at least in the case of Lamar Alexander, I have some hope that um, he at least is going to be in favor of a legitimate process that, again, says that Article 2, and this has actually been re-aired several times (laughs) during these arguments today, when the president has basically implied, and forgive me, I'm going to paraphrase it, so... But suggesting Article 2 powers for the presidency, mind you, Article 2, not 1, Article 2 powers are almost infinite. The president can do whatever he wants. His words, um, which was also those statements are designed to offend the Senate and any members of Congress because they are Article 1 powers, not Article (laughs) 2. So, but Dan, I want to go back to a point you made earlier in your comments just now. Uh, talking about the legal aspect of this, it strikes me that both parties are conf- are conflating this as a political process and a judicial process. We hear the Republicans arguing uh, the political process that's due, and it, you know I don't have to be an impartial juror. This is political, not judicial. Yet the Democrats are making the case that this is about as judicial as it gets. And that we do have certain trial standards, certain requirements, and even the ability to call and subpoena witnesses for testimony. Is this going to be a problem going forward? In fact, the answer is it's both. And there's a reason. How so? So there's a reason you request and you require people to raise their hand, to take an oath, to faithfully execute and and uphold their duties, whether beyond the partisanship. And 
ideally upholding it to ethics and integrity. Um, do I anticipate that's going to hold true for all parties? No. Um, do I hope that there is something to it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one of the most but, offensive but questions Dan that was is, asked in the House but, when, they, when, when they asked who, who people voted for during the testimony. That should have no bearing. You can only tell the truth if somehow you're, you're on the same partisan line. That's crap. Um, but, but, Dan, let me ask you I, this. I, I, I would it expect fact, the best from, from the senators. It, maybe right. not all of them, but hopefully most of them. But, but Dan, this is, in fact, a political process, which gives, uh, you know, I hate to say the advantage. It, it is both a political and legal process. The only thing withholding the Supreme Court from taking any position it wants on any particular case is, some, is the concept of judicial restraint. And that judicial restraint is just that, is the this is our duty, we, that the justice is blind because these are the facts before us and this is the law are, before us. Are and you, wait, 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 and hold on, at least some of the there, senators are, member, are, are, are lawyers. Dan, are you suggesting that we could possibly, depending on how this plays out, could we see the advent of uh chief justice roberts inserting himself in this process from a legal aspect i mean it's plausible but that's not even what i'm talking about um S senator cornyn a former texas supreme uh supreme court uh judge uh has already chimed in that he's a lawyer and a former judge and and he had issues with with one of the proposed rules that was floating out there. And I haven't heard him say much. So this is suggesting to me, at least, that McConnell's got uh, some interesting conversations going on within his caucus. Cornyn has been a very happy soldier. It is rare when I've, I, I, in my memory, I don't remember him speaking up on anything of consequence that would actually go against the majority leader. I mean, so, Alan, you could correct me if I'm well, wrong. Well, I think you're but, reading more into what Cornyn has said than was actually there. Because one of the great things that— he spoke, that, The that fact Mitch, he spoke at all. Well, he's been—he's actually been speaking pretty regularly over the last few weeks. Um, and and there are various people in among the Republicans who've had, who've had issues with different aspects of how this is is moving forward their feelings about witnesses their feelings about process and so on none of which tells us how they will vote when it comes to the rule well we're, we pretty much know how it's going to come down with regard to the rule for 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 going forward it doesn't tell us much about what how people will vote when it comes to the question of individual witnesses or possible documents that's going to play out and that right. that's the really the, today is not the the important day because the outcome of this rule notwithstanding the fact that McConnell made some modifications he made those modifications because he has been in touch with his people closely regularly some more so than others some who who wanted to be heard that they have some questions or issues. I mean, I all, when I saw that 24 hours in two days, I thought, no, that won't fly. And then I, that's when I was going to say, I think it's going to be moved to at least three. And I thought, I wonder if this was all a plan. 
I wonder if we're going to put two out there to see if we can if, to gaslight Chuck Schumer, which if that was the plan, it certainly worked. He went totally nuts, talked about a national scandal. Um, and, we, and you go to three days and that seems more reasonable than two, certainly, but you don't have to, to go to four. They really are trying to move this along. Now, now Dan made a comment earlier that I just that, that got my attention because he talked real about quick, real he, quick. He, he talked about how Lamar Alexander and some of these guys, you know, have to decide if they want this to be a legitimate process. And and it's that mindset that that Dan or others can are in the position to define legitimacy is what gets politicians of all stripes into trouble. Because if if the Republicans vote no witnesses, for example, which is entirely possible, that doesn't make this illegitimate, even though Dan thinks it does. Um, and, well, hold, and, and, hold on, hold on, but, hold on, but there's on. this Alan, whole notion ask- of trying to make people feel guilty. Alan, gonna, let me ask you the question. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. When you talk about legitimacy, when you talk about an impeachment trial, is there not a case that says that without hearing from at least four of the key players, two of them being Mick Mulvaney, the head of OMB, and the former National Security Advisor, John Bolton, does that not call into question the legitimacy of the process itself to truly give both sides equal hearing Look, before the Senate. People can make that argument. I don't have any problem with Dan making it, you making it, if you're suggesting it or not. I will hearken back to a couple things. One, the fact that the House said the evidence is overwhelming. We are in a rush. We are moving forward on the basis of what we have because the evidence is overwhelming. And now, having moved it fast and then sat on it for 33 days, are begging and pleading and challenging the legitimacy of moving forward without these other witnesses. There's a there's a disconnect there. I don't know how it's going to play out. I'd like to hear from John from John Bolton, and it won't surprise me if we do hear from John Bolton, and it won't surprise me if Bolton isn't nearly the witness that Democrats are thinking right. he's going to be. And right. I'm guessing we might hear from both John Bolton and Hunter Biden. You heard it right. here. And it could be just the two of them. And it could be interesting. It won't be them live on the floor of the Senate. It will be them behind closed doors somewhere, possibly on camera. We may or may not see a transcript. You, you know, you're, saying, you're saying this could be video video deposition like we saw in the Clinton trial. It could be, or you know, it might not be. Death match. It might not be. It could be. It it could be a summary would be released of what they said, or a transcript, right. or s- selected quotes. I don't know. I'm not convinced that there won't be any witnesses. I think there's, a, you know, at least a 50-50 chance that we'll hear from at least one. Right. And if we hear from one, I think we'll hear from two. And that will be Hunter Biden. And and, and that's kind of this political game that, that's going on. But I don't – I mean, I think there are some fundamental questions that all these folks are asking about – is what the president, what we all believe the president did, even though he denies it, which makes the, the defenses, uh, well, we got, it makes it hard to defend him. Alan, if if Alan, everything got, they did got, said we, was we true. I just want to jump in uh, real quick. Yeah. We've got some developments coming off the floor of the Senate. Uh, the Republicans have just shut down 
Senator Chuck Schumer's amendment to the rules to subpoena the State Department's documents on the Ukraine. Rich Rubino... They, they ta- is, I assume they tabled it. That would have been the... Uh, the no, it was, it was a full-on... NBC is reporting it as defeated. Well, that, so, but 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 procedurally, procedurally, McConnell exercises his ability to get control. He moves to table the amendment, which means right. get rid of it, and asks right. for the A's and A's, and then they have a roll call vote, right? And right, he prevails. Right. But you, right. you, you table it that way. Yeah, if well, he loses, what was if, the head count? If for any reason he loses, he's got the ability to come back and 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 keep it alive. Yeah, right. Did you see a vote get posted? A number? Of- <clears throat> I have not seen. I have not seen the vote results. We're still waiting on that. But uh, I'd be NBC, surprised if that's then, not pure party line. So, Fifty-three forty-seven. So, 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 but, so, to to Alan's point, and there's a reason trials are public. Hell, there's a reason that much of everything that we do in a democracy is public with the exception of issues relating to national security. And even then, we do our best to keep those things narrowly tailored as possible because that is to keep the credibility alive. So the tinfoil hat brigade doesn't get to have their own arguments and their own beliefs about what actually occurred. So the in this case, when I say keeping the process credible and keeping things so everyone buys in, the fact that, again, 69 percent of the American public want to see witnesses and want to see more evidence. Um, and this is but, on top of Dan, the 51 percent that, that want that already believe the president's guilty and should be removed from office. That, Dan, that democracy Dan, only that... works when you get buy in and, and you get buy in right. from those people who lost. It's not just buy in from the winners. Buy in from the losers. So for but, as many, Dan, for as much of us Dan, as we do, the, the O.J. Simpson Dan, Dan, verdict Dan, Dan, drove on, us all on, nuts. That said, it was public, and the the prosecution lost fair and square. If it did not Dan, fit, it did. It, Dan, he must have quit, Dan, and he walked. On. Dan, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You brought up something that's a key point, and you just ran over it. Is your point of sixty-five percent of Americans want to see witnesses? Sixty-nine. 69 percent i think it's 68 guys but whatever whichever whichever but dan to your point do you really believe that this honestly is going to be enough to convey the to the republicans in the senate that that is justification to make subpoenas go out and witnesses testify i would hope so Uh, the fact that those so Polling is polling, and I don't know what percentage of the American public fell off entirely because they don't they didn't understand the question. And how so, many were from right, California right. and New York? So <laughs> that that said, I've seen the number floating around, and since we have competing numbers, I'm going to go. I'm going to suggest that probably some multiple uh, uh, news organizations came up with numbers that were not just cooking the books from California right. and New York. Um, right. I mean, hell, even Fox News has posted some pretty, pretty unfavorable poll numbers. No, no, no. I'm not talking about cooking the books. I'm just saying if you're going to do a national poll, you're going to get more people from the states that have uh, uh, more respondents from people who have a lot of people. No, no, so no, by no, definition, no, no. you're going to have more from no, no, the, I understand. the big states. That's but, just but, how the, but, but the are, numbers work. But uh, I'm trying to remember the, 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 the major newspapers in either Maine or Colorado or even Tennessee. I mean, in 
in Kentucky. Uh, Mitch McConnell's hometown paper has actually had a handful of uh, things saying you got to keep right. this trial fair. So there, there, there are folks out there keeping it local. And as it was stated by many people greater than me, all politics is local. And I right. suspect there are numbers saying what those senators in, in state uh, voters believe. Right. Rich Rubino, historically, as we come to the end of, of this broadcast, uh, historically, what can we expect? I, I mean, is this going to be an impeachment trial unlike we've seen uh, in, in, the, in the one in modern day, the Bill Clinton trial? Is there any sort of similarities? What is the reality expectation that we are going to see moving forward down the road? Oh, there are airy similarities, and I think what you're going to see is essentially, obviously, it's a different, obviously, it's a different terrain, but you're going to see essentially um, the same, the same state of play. You're going to see, you're just going to see what is really a um, partisan maneuver on both sides. It's really to play to the, it's really to play to the American people. It's to play to their own political bases. It's to kind of win the public relations war. It's to win the public opinion war because we know, I mean, unlike say the Andrew Johnson impeachment. Or if there were to be, you know, or if there were an actually a Richard Nixon impeachment where there actually was a chance that the person could be convicted, it would be a lot different. In Bill Clinton's case, he had a 60% job approval rating. There was no way he was going to get those 67 requisite votes to be, to be convicted. There was nowhere near that. No Democrat ended up voting for that. In this particular circumstance, essentially the same thing. It's all about really politics of 2020. It's about those senators like Susan Collins and Doug, and Doug Jones and Tom Tillis and um, – Cory Gardner that are up for re-election, and it's about whether this is going to somehow hinder their re-election bids because they're kind of in they're kind of in between they're kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place. But it's really all about politics. I don't think anybody, barring a cataclysm, reason believes that there is a one percent chance that Donald Trump actually gets convicted. And part of this is also for Donald Trump, his own 2020 presidential race. He wants to be able right. to say that he was exonerated and the Democrats want to be able to come over and say that it was essentially a partisan, a partisan hit job. We need to change the entire system, or as Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren would say, it's all about we need a revolution. But it's really, it's all, it's, it's all, it's really, it's true what Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local. In this case, it's just all politics, politics, and politics, and that's the right. same thing it was with Bill Clinton. We, we've got two minutes left in this broadcast. Uh, round the horn real quick. Are we going to see witnesses, and who do we see? Alan Moore, first off. Well, I'm going to stick with my prediction that we see John Bolton and Hunter Biden. Dan Lipner? Uh, I personally want to see Donald Trump in the well of the Senate. Do you really think that's going to happen? I, I'm hoping for it. <laughs> Richard, you know, let's come back to reality. Who do you think? Are we going to see witnesses, and who do we see? Uh, Rosie O'Donnell. No, um, I think <laughs> um, I think that you're probably going to see. I think that you will probably see John Bolton, and you will probably see Hunter Biden. The reason I say that is because Sherrod Brown, one of the most um, populous members of the United States Senate, certainly not a um, not one of the more bipartisan members from Ohio, said, "Yeah, he'd be willing to see Hunter Biden um, Hunter Biden testify." So that shows me that I think a lot of the Democrats will probably get on the ship with that as well, and he probably um, he probably will testify. So those would be the two I would guess. Uh, and real quickly around the horn, uh, how important is Mick Mulvaney testifying? Alan Moore? I, I, I mean, he has a lot to say, but he's the chief of staff to the president. I don't Acting. see it happening. Dan Lipner? Acting chief of staff. and it, it, the, it, that, it, that's, it, a, that's a difference without a doubt. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, he is, still the, he is still the OMB director. So yeah, that yeah, is yeah. – and OMB – 
Florida is a lot to answer for, considering uh, that's uh, not the that's not the question. The question is, will question. Mulvaney we, testify? And I say we, no. Yeah, Dan Littner, are you saying yes? He will? I, I'm saying I, I I'm saying it's more than a worthy argument. Uh, Rich Rubino, um, I will say no, but I don't think it really is going to make any difference either way. No, interesting point. Okay, I'm going to let that be the last word. Hey, uh, obviously, on behalf of Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, Rich Rubino, uh, I'm your host of Monterey, Dustin Russell, from Maduro Cigar Lounge, 2800 Marina Bay Drive in Lee City, Texas. Uh, thanks to Fred and the team here at Maduro's for letting us broadcast here. Uh, we're going to be keeping an eye, obviously, on the subpoena process, I mean, the uh, impeachment process. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter, on our Facebook page. You can also download us as a podcast on your favorite podcast system, whether it's Google, Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're kind of a big deal now. Have a great week, America. Stay tuned.